Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. The Rebel Report from Super Talk Mississippi with Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brister. Listen carefully. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, November, what, 18th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Ole Miss loses to the top-ranked LSU Tigers, 58-37. We'll get into that some. We'll get into a little bit of basketball. I was not at the basketball game on Friday. I had some uh, family and friends in town that I uh, took off work to go see and hang out with on Friday night. So we'll get into that, I'm sure, a little bit. They've got uh, a couple more games this week, including a pretty big game at Memphis, football's on a bye. We'll get into that some, too. But uh, well, I guess a lot to discuss from the weekend. What's up? Not much. Not much. It was a uh, it was a very uh, packed weekend as far from a sports perspective. Uh, yeah, I guess so. There was a lot going on. I mean, just I guess your kind of typical football and NFL week, I mean, uh, college football and NFL weekend. But I guess let's just get right into the game. Ole Miss loses 58-37. To LSU, they got down twenty-eight to nothing. Uh, kind of hung, hung in there fairly well after that, but just got in too big of a hole and really just couldn't keep pace with an LSU offense. It's really just kind of a machine. I mean, Burrow was twenty-two to twenty-four at halftime. He's completing seventy-eight percent of his passes in SEC play through what? That's six conference games. That's kind of absurd. I've never even really heard of that. Yeah, yeah, that that that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, I guess I could go back and look it up, but I, I, I don't. I would have to imagine that would be close to some sort of record in, like, I guess the modern age of passing. I mean, they're throwing it 40, 35, 45 times a game. I'm sure he's had a game this year. I don't. Here, I'll pull it up in front of me that he's thrown 50, but, like, completing 78% of your passes is absurd. Yeah. I mean, he completed, like, 16 in a row on Saturday. Um, and what was funny is. You know, a lot of people obviously, when things don't go well, they, they want to blame some coaches. And, and I look, I'm not you know uh, immune to blaming coaches. I thought Mike McIntyre called a pretty good game on Saturday. There was just nothing they could do. Yeah, I mean that's kind of they're an Alabama-esque receiving core. They run the football pretty well. Like there really just wasn't a whole lot you were going to do to stop that offense. The way you were going to win was just kind of keeping pace in a shootout. And then you can't really get down four touchdowns to that offense and expect to realistically get back in the game. They actually made it a lot closer than I thought it would be when they got up when it was twenty-eight to nothing. Uh, but you know, Burrow looked human a couple times on those back-to-back drives in the fourth quarters. But other than that, I mean, it just kind of was what it was. Ole Miss. I mean, they ran into a juggernaut offense. That's the reason the LSU is number one team in the country. Um, let's see, Burrow is. Oh, no, I got his. Game walks. He's thrown forty. He's got pretty. He's pretty much thrown thirty-five times in every single game. Florida, he was at twenty-four. State, he was at thirty-two. But everywhere else, he's between really somewhere thirty-five and forty-five. And he hasn't had a game where he's completed less than seventy-one percent of his passes. And that was against Utah State. His lowest in SEC play appears to be Vanderbilt at 73%. He had Vanderbilt, he had an off day. He was 25 at 34. Yeah, Joe Brady's not going to be at LSU long. He's going to be a head coach somewhere. Yeah, I would imagine he probably ends up getting a shot. I would bet more realistically what happens is they end up locking him up into a contract for another season, season and a half, and then he makes a jump to... I don't know if he'll get NFL looks. I don't necessarily know if he'll kind of in, I don't know what that guy wants to do. How cut. far down the list is he if you're Florida State? Like, would you rather have Mark Stoops or him? I'd probably, I mean, Mark Stoops is a more established head coach. And, again, there's a long difference between running an entire program and being a passing sure. game coordinator. Because, you remember, this guy came from the NFL a year ago. So, I mean, it probably is a little premature, so I'd probably go Stoops. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but. Man, the, the, the turn that LSU offense has made in a year makes me think that guy, he's going to be something as head coach sooner rather than later. 
I'm not saying he won't, but like it also takes a good quarterback. It also takes a good receiving core. Like step, like inserting him into a head coaching position at a different school in a different conference and expecting the same results probably not wise. At least right. But I guess I guess what I was you know think about is Joe Burrow wasn't that good last year. Like we didn't think he was a good quarterback coming in this year. We thought he was fine. He looked a lot like Bo Wallace to be frank. Um, and now they've made the dude a Heisman contender. Yeah, I think he was kind of. Hey, Bur- we talked. I talked about this with Brody Miller on the podcast last week. Burrow was kind of hamstrung by the things around him, and whether that be the offense, whether that be the receiving core, a uh, little bit of sh- shakiness on the offensive line. I think they were just overall more sturdy. And then, of course, of course, Joe Brady's made a huge difference. I just say it's like he's what thirty something years, thirty one, thirty two. Like I, it's a little different game, I guess, when you're going to a he- step into a head coaching job at a blue blood program. Like Stoops has kind of been through it before. I am kind of fascinated what Florida State does because it, it doesn't feel like they're going to get a top level coach. Well, I mean, they, they like it, it, everybody says that, but like at the same time, like the the coaching carousel really hasn't gotten going yet. Like, who are you hiring at this point that you can pretty much say, "Hey, this is going to happen"? Like, you got two weeks left in the season. Well, sure, but they're they're obviously not getting Bob Stoops, and I, I think that was their number one target. Um, here's what, and, and we'll get to Ole Miss in just a second. But I was talking to a friend about this today. There's not like the hot name, like Norvell is a little bit, but he's got so much baggage and stuff. Like, there's not the Tom Herman or Scott Frost type guy out there this year. I mean, yeah, Matt Campbell, Matt Rule is certainly kind of the... Yeah, but those are, those are guys that are already in Power 5 programs. Yeah, certainly. But, I mean, if you're talking about just kind of the naming, last year, or I guess two years ago, it was Chip Kelly, and that didn't end up working. Or has it, I mean, they're okay. What, they're 4-3 and three in the in the Pac-12 this year. 4-6 and six overall. That's kind of hard to do. Yeah, but I don't know. Any point being, it's just I don't know that it's so fluid throughout the year, and then any everyone you think is a slam dunk hire doesn't end up working out, and vice versa. So anyway, but so Ole Miss got down twenty eight nothing. There really wasn't much they could have done after that. They did some nice things offensively. They end up with six hundred and fourteen yards of offense. John Rice Plumley had a monster day on the ground. I think he had what two hundred and twelve yards or something on on twenty one carries. That was a uh, record for a quarterback in a single game. Uh, LSU uh, is probably a combination of LSU not exactly being on cloud nine coming out in the second half after getting up 28 nothing, But Ole Miss did kind of gas him with the quarterback counter and a couple of inside runs repeatedly. Um, again, I've kind of been firmly in the camp that this isn't sustainable and isn't going to work. I, I guess, if, if look, if Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez have made their choice as to what direction they're going offensively, Saturday was what was on display was kind of the positive side of what that can be. But the problem is, is you're going to end up eventually going to end up needing to pass the ball better, which I thought they did in spots. But I guess if this is the decision they made and this is the direction they're going in, Saturday did highlight some of the positive aspects of what that could look like. Yeah, I, I hesitate to put a whole bunch of credence into it because they scored seven points in the first half. And I think LSU, I'm not going to say they weren't interested. I think smartly they went into a prevent defense type thing. And Plumlee is so fast that he, if you let him break the line of scrimmage, he's got a chance to go the distance. I don't think that they played a defense from a damn, like, what am I trying to say? I, I think they got into a defense where Ole Miss was able to run the football with success. And give Ole Miss credit, they did it. They, I thought the offensive line played one of its best games of the season on Saturday. Uh, Paul Bling was obviously special. He's dynamic with his legs. And like you said, I thought they threw the football a little bit better, and I think they've thrown it a little bit better uh, the past two weeks than they have the rest of the whole season. The play calling was still way too predictable on first down. But other than that, yeah, it was, it was probably their best offensive game of the season for sure. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they ran for 400 yards on what is a pretty much consensus top 10 run defense in the country. And you see the explosiveness of Plumlee. You see what can kind of happen when he gets into the second level and gets past guys because he's had two monster games against what is perceived to be two of the better defenses in the SEC. He'll throw Auburn in there as well in Alabama and LSU. So, I mean, if this is the direction they've decided to go, like you can see, the, I guess, what they, what they see and kind of what they envision it being. Um, I, I do think that Borky mentioned. I, I think Borky put this out on like Twitter or something on on Saturday night. As, as further along as they get into this, and Plumley has another high profile performance against a really good team in a conference game on primetime television, I do think there's eventually probably going to be a conversation about baseball and kind of making him the quarterback of the future. It just it seems increasingly 
less and less likely that he ends up actually playing baseball if they're going to be ready to make him the starting quarterback of their football team heading into 2020. He shed a little bit of light on that afterwards in the postgame. Uh, he was asked about kind of if he had a clear plan about what to do in the spring. He didn't really give many details, although he did kind of give the illusion that he was maybe, he at least made it sound like he was going to try to do both football and baseball in the spring in terms of like, like he got asked pretty much point blank to clarify like you're going to try to do both in the spring. And he said yes. And I kind of took that to mean like he's going to do the spring practice and fall baseball and and. And excuse me, spring practice and baseball type of thing. Uh, he didn't really give many details, but he just kind of said, "I've been doing both my whole life. Like it's going to be time consuming, but it's not going to be that much different." I just continue to be more and more skeptical as as the games go on and as it becomes clear that he's their guy going forward. That he ends up actually playing baseball in the spring. I will be shocked if he does not at least start baseball season. I think there's a scenario where he's the fifth or sixth outfielder and isn't used much and gives it up. I just don't think the kid's going to not try to play college baseball at some point. I mean, I think he went to college with the mindset that he's going to do both. I would be shocked if if in January he's not at least going to give it a shot. And then, like I said, if he's not going to play, then, then, then he moves over to the football field and goes through spring drills. Yeah, I just I don't get it at that point. I mean, I get the kid wants to play baseball, but at that point, what are you gaining? Like you're well, having... I mean, he wants to play baseball. Like, but, I mean, what's to say he can't play Major League Baseball? I guess this would be my point. Well, he probably would have actually been a draftable prospect out of high school, no? Uh, I mean, that that's okay. But there's plenty of guys that have played third, that are third, fourth, and fifth round picks. There were, I mean, Austin Bostil was one. I mean, there's plenty of dudes like that that get drafted rel- relatively high that weren't prospects out of high school. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I just, again, as the games go on, as he continues to put together solid performances, particularly rushing the football against good teams, I just get more and more skeptical that that's actually going to happen. He, Like you said, he may end up starting the year, but if he's playing baseball in May, I'll be surprised. What if he's a starter, though? Which I think is possible. Sure, but I think there's eventually going to be a conversation to be had about which scholarships paying the bills. <laughs> I mean, that's if it, that's usually what ends up happening with this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's been dudes that have done both. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated how they. I mean, Jameis Winston did both, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, kind of, but he he paid very sparingly at Florida State. Yeah, but I. I I can't remember if you played one or two years there because he wouldn't have played a third. Um, I don't know. It, we'll see. I mean, there's there's really not much else to say. I mean, we'll see in February if he's, if he's on the baseball field or not. I don't really think it hurts him to start the baseball season. I mean, football's not going to start until April or so, right? Uh, no, I mean, football starts at – spring practice starts like February 20-something. Uh Christ. Uh, it ends in the early. It ends in early April. Uh, but yeah, f- uh, spring football starts at the tail end of February. Uh, well, I mean, it would. It's not going to hurt him to go out at the beginning of practice and play baseball. I guess would be my point. No, I just have a hard time uh, thinking that actually ends up lasting if he's going to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. Because I, I guess it's a decent transition. He goes nine of sixteen for one twenty-three and in an interception. Um, he made a couple of decent throws. I, I know he hit. He hit. Cooley for a big gain. He hit Elijah Moore, I believe, on the first play from scrimmage for 30 yards. So for that mailbag Friday question, he did have a 30-yard pass um, fairly early in the game. I think that was actually the first play of the game. I can't remember which one was 28 yards or which one was 30. But he, uh, the first play Ole Miss had coming out of the game after LSU drove it down and scored, he hit Moore for 30 yards. So I guess that answered that mailbag question pretty quick. But point being, and this was kind of the point Borky had, if this is actually going to work, he really does kind of need to spend the entire offseason with some kind of quarterback guru, passing specialist, and really just trying to milk the most out of whatever his arm talent is and whatever the ceiling is with that. I'm not going to pretend to know what the ceiling with his arm talent is because I'm not a scout, but like that would be the, an advisable strategy if they're going to spend the offseason making this guy their quarterback to go into next year with. Yeah, uh, we'll just think. I mean, it's just, that's all it is point. I mean, um, I'm kind of interested if they get to a bowl game at 5-7, and seven, how they handle that. Cause, uh, I, well, well, I guess what I'm interested there is if, if Matt Crowell's still on the team, uh, if they go to a 5-7 and seven bowl game. Uh, yeah, I 
I don't know. I, I guess they would do it because they want the seniors to go. To oh, the they're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, they just. I mean, they got to win. The, they got to get to five wins though first. Um. I do think they have a decent shot to win the Egg Bowl. Uh, I almost see though it's it's like shifted though to at, at almost being a foregone conclusion. State's not very good, but this team has not been very good in proving it could win any game that's close at all. Like they have, what game have they kind of pulled out of the fire that's remotely close this year? I mean, not none this year. Obviously, that's why we're having the conversation that we're having. Um, but I mean, I I think they're a little bit better than Mississippi State, and frankly, I think they probably play a little bit harder than Mississippi State at this point. I think there's a lot of turmoil around Mississippi State at this point too. Uh, they didn't. They didn't exactly look like a team that was right with confidence on Saturday against Alabama. And I get it's Alabama, but they didn't really show up. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, I mean, you're playing out at Ole Miss. Well, what was the final score Ole Miss ended with? I mean, it was very kind of similar. Uh, no. Um, well, Ole Miss got beat by 21, and they got beat by 31, but. I mean, there were three points scored in the second half. State's offense looks lethargic against the Alabama defense that's not been good. Yeah, I do wonder, though, what would happen if Ole Miss comes off the Alabama's, like playing them after Alabama's only loss of the year. Like, that Yeah, was, I mean, that's certainly fair. Um, Ole Miss got beat 59-31. Are you talking about at Alabama? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about against LSU on Saturday. Oh, no, no. I I, I remember that one. That one's still fresh in the memory bank. But like, Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, but. They, they put up 31 points, and Alabama, obviously, after what happened on, on Saturday in the first half, ran the football and got out of there in the second half. Yeah, they did. But so, anyway, going back to the Ole Miss game, 9-16 um, for 123. This is the, the, the hang-up I have with it. Over the course of an entire football season, is it really sustainable that you have you have your quarterback rush the ball 16, 21 times and rush it 16 and then another thing that is interesting to me is, like, you, we keep talking about Plumlee. He made a couple of decent throws. He missed a few as well. But their inability to actually let him drop back and throw the ball is kind of hard to gauge what he actually is as a passer. Yeah, and it doesn't exactly feel like they're going to let him do that at any point. So, I mean, it, it, this may just be the offense. Well, I can tell you that's not going to work. <laughs> you don't think rolling right every pass play is not going to work? No, but, I mean, look, the speed is electric and the running ability is undeniable. I mean, he just scored four touchdowns and ran for 200 yards on LSU. But, like, something's got to give here with the passing game, right? I mean, they, to their credit, they threw for 200 yards as a team for the first time, I believe, since the Alabama game. And wait, they threw for 200 yards on Alabama? Yeah, they, no, wait, hold on. I, no, that would be for the first time since Cal. I think Alabama was 178. I was looking this up on Saturday night. That touchdown pass that Corral threw to Moore in the fourth quarter was their first touchdown pass since the road loss at Missouri. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. But Ooh. they haven't thrown for 250 in a game since Cal. Hmm. 15 yeah, I mean... I guess we're just going to have to wait and see because everybody talks about, you know, I, this offense isn't going to work without a vertical passing threat. Well, I mean, we'll find out next year. I mean, because they're going to run this. And it's either going to work or it's not, and they're going to either develop a vertical passing game under Blumley or they're not. Like, I, there's just so much wait and see to this that, I mean, Matt Luke's getting next year. That's going to happen. Um, we'll see. Like, I, I just, there's, there's really not an answer right now to yeah, and what I don't understand again is another thing that they keep saying, like it keeps being clear that the direction they they've gone in, but then they bring Corral in for three series and he goes six eleven for eighty nine and a touchdown. Like, yeah, I, and why in the first three series I think he was like six of eight for like eighty five and a touchdown. I so guess he, when he gets limited opportunities, he played pretty well. Yeah, but I guess at this point I, I'm, I'm wondering why if you're not going to use it as an actual two quarterback thing. And keep them all balanced. Like, why? Why are you doing? Why are you using them at all? Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of with you. What? What is the? What's the purpose of what you're doing there? Yeah, I, that's one aspect of this I don't understand. But again, I don't know. I mean, this game just kind of was what it was. Like, I did. It didn't really surprise me. Ole Miss getting back into the game was surprising to me. I thought they once they got down twenty-eight nothing, it was. Uh, it was going to get out of hand pretty quickly. Um, you know, they had a couple of snafus early in the game. Uh, they had a 
delay a game. They had a timeout um, to punt the ball coming out of the quarter. And then Luke Logan missed a field goal, which I don't necessarily indict them for kicking a field goal, giving that down in yardage. But you got to figure playing against an Alabama, an LSU team like that, like you're. Pro- I mean, I, I would have gone in the mindset of we're going for it outside of some ridiculous down in distance. Yeah, I just wonder at this point, like, is kicking the field goal there fine from a uh, perspective of that's what you're supposed to do? Sure. My argument would be, I think you have a better chance of picking up four yards than you do of that kid making a field goal at this point. Like, I, I. I don't know how you trust that dude. It was fourth down and six from the LSU twenty-one, and he missed I mean, a, it's a thirty-eight yarder. And I mean, I don't know what gives you confidence that he can make it. Yeah, I mean, he'd been okay from forty and in for the most part this year. It's when they kind of extend him into that forty to forty-five range. So I, I didn't necessarily mind that. I mean, you're down seven nothing. No, I wasn't mad at that one at all. I mean, you're trying. It, it's going forward. I just you can't kick a 45 yard field goal, can you? I mean, no. But I mean, you say going forward, they only got one game left. I do wonder what they do about that in the off season if they address but that. Tannehill is senior. Uh, I don't know that off the top of my head. To be completely honest, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. If he's a senior, I mean, he's the kicker next year. I don't know what they do if he's not. Uh, Receiving-wise, Moore was, uh, had nine catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. Really, this game looked exactly like the Ole Miss receive, like if the, the statistics look like the receiving cores looked all year. Elijah Moore had nine catches. The next closest was actually Dennis Jackson. He had two grabs for 24. Tyler Knight had a couple catches for a short game. Uh, Octavius Cooley had the one reception. Jerry Neely had a catch. Ely had uh, his first 100-yard game at Ole Miss. He had, he had, well, he ran for 141. On 13 touches, I guess that's another aspect of this offense. It's It feels like they had 614 yards of offense on LSU. It, it It's it's like hesitate to be critical because like they, they ran 71 plays. They averaged eight and a half yards of play and like almost 14 yards of completion and like nine yards of rush. But I do wonder why Ely hasn't been fed the ball more given the results he's continued to produce. I mean, 13 touches is fine, but there have been other times this year where this is probably a better, like you could point to, to make a better argument. But, I mean, he goes 13 for 141. Why is that not 25 for 200? Guess he's good as mine. I mean, Rich Rodriguez has done a very good job this season, in my opinion, of getting their best players to football. And, uh, kind of continues to feel like they're they're doing that on a regular basis. Yeah, but I mean, I guess part of that, when you have a quarterback and you have some of those option plays that he takes it and he keeps sure. it often, I'm sure that siphoning carries away from Ely a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm not well. necessarily talking about LSU. I thought, actually, that was one of the better call games of the season. I still didn't like running it as much as they did after they got down three touchdowns, but um, I think just from for the season, he's done not a great job of, of getting the best players in football. Yeah, and even though, like, Saturday they felt like they were more fluid offensively. They had some uh, passing concepts that worked, and, and it looked like they moved the ball better, but there's still times in this whole deal where the scheme still just feels disjointed. And I just think they're way too predictable. Like, I don't – what am I trying to say? They throw the ball on third down a, a good bit. I don't understand why you don't take your shot on first down and, instead of – and look, I'm not necessarily talking about the LSU game, but if you're going to let the kids throw it at all, why not throw it when there's you know you have a, a, a chance that they're playing the run? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're an offense that runs the ball about 65% of the time. So They I mean, run it like 80% of the time on first down, which to me is problematic. I think a lot of that is him being uh, like them being deathly afraid of getting behind the chains because if this offense has a negative play on first down at all, they're kind of toast. Yeah, but like I mean, they're kind of going into this game and look, the LSU game happened and it counts. They were kind of toast anyways, right? Like they scored seventeen on A and M and fourteen against Auburn. Yeah, I'm just telling you, as far as them running the ball, I think he so badly wants to get positive yardage on first down and not get behind the sticks. I'm not justifying. I'm just telling you that's probably a little bit of where that's coming from. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. They're not running it well on first down, I guess would be my larger issue. Yeah, so I, I don't really, I didn't have a whole lot 
from this game. I mean, it just kind of was what it was. LSU's really good. They've got some things to shore up defensively if they're, if, if they're going to kind of be good enough to win the whole thing. That offense, yeah, Ohio State will tear that off. Yeah, that, I, mean, I mean, conversely, I think that LSU's offense will tear up Ohio State's defense. they got to block them, though. I mean, sure, but, man, that was that – was, I mean, I had Brody on the podcast last week. He described the offense as machine-like. That's about as accurate as a description as I think you could possibly have. Because there were times where it didn't even look at LSU. It was, like, playing particularly well offensively, but they're just methodically moving it down the field. That's probably the best offense in the country. So, I mean, I, I mean the, the difference, I guess, is between an LSU and, and maybe someone else is that LSU does have the talent on the defensive side of the ball to shore some of those things up and be better, and they put together some de- decent defensive performances at times this year. That was not one of their better ones, but again, they're up 28 nothing at Ole Miss, a week off kind of the biggest win of the college football season. You wonder what the kind of attitude and mindset was coming out after that, but anyway, so I, I don't know. LSU's really good. That offense is, is that's the best offense I've seen in person this year, Alabama included. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I think, I, you know, to get to the playoff for just a second, how glad are we that they actually have a playoff now? Because can you imagine the chaos if they had Alabama, LSU, and Clemson, who were all going to go undefeated? Except it's, I mean, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. Except it's not a real playoff. That's what, but that's what it, it's, it's so hard for me to actually take college football seriously as a sport. Like we're there, watch tonight or tomorrow, whenever these dumb rankings come out, you're going to have people arguing where to rank a team based on a quarterback injury. How stupid is that? I mean, it's, it, they lost the quarterback. That kind of matters, does it not? It does, but in the what in what world would this ever happen in any other level of football? Like. Lamar Jackson went down. You can't put the Ravens in the playoffs. Do what? So you're saying that you you would you'd rather them take the conference champions and just put them in? Make it an actual playoff and an actual system to qualify instead of have a bunch of dudes in a room arguing about two. So what's the system to qualify? Just win your conference? Yeah, it'd be. I would go five. It's an eighteen playoff. The five power five leagues get an automatic bid. You have two at large, and then you give the last one to the group of five, the highest ranked. Well, we'd group still of five. be arguing over the at large bid. That's fine, but at least there's a direct path. You're not you're not just randomly arguing over four teams over inconsistent metrics. At least I think I think if, if we're going to do that, I'm fine with that. I'd actually just I wouldn't have to do it largest. I would if you win your conference, you're in. I, I would have I would have six teams. I, but I mean, a sixteen playoff, you're getting into buys. Yeah, I mean, we'll get get one of the top two seats. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but at the same time, like, then what is the purpose of the group of five? That's what I don't understand in this whole about this entire sport. Yeah, I mean, they maybe should have their own national championship. I don't know. Uh, they're they're never getting in. I don't. If UCF didn't get in, then they're not. Like, I, I think they should probably just quit telling people that they can get in because they can't. That's fine. I just I I, I think this whole playoff because it's not like they call it a playoff, but it's not a playoff. Okay, well, I mean, it's a it's a tournament. It's an invitational yeah. tournament. Do what? It's an invitational tournament. I mean, okay. I don't necessarily think they've ever gotten one egregiously wrong over the five years that they've done this. Though. No, but, I mean, a playoff implies that you have a qualifying system and you don't really have one. You just have a bunch of nonsense. I just think arguing over a team's positioning and whether they get to play in the – or, I guess – postseason whatever you do have bowl games but in the postseason that matters based on a quarterback's hip is incredibly stupid yeah i, I think that entire system is very dumb. They'll, they'll argue about that for you know tv purposes and whatnot the thing is alabama was never going to get in unless just absolute chaos happened though yeah but the way it was currently ranked all lsu all that had to happen was lsu beat georgia yeah, but I mean, okay, but when Oregon wins the Pac-12 or Oklahoma wins the Big 12, they're going to get a bump and jump over Alabama. This is kind of underscoring my argument about how dumb the system is. Well, I mean, you've got to have a system. I mean, I guess the, the metrics of how you go about handling the teams is, is not great, but I mean, I think it beats just having two teams, which is my point. Like, maybe it's not, you know, perfect, but we would be talking about just getting LSU, Clemson, or Ohio State and having one game a month. 
Yeah, that's sure. But like, I, I just in every other every other level of football, you have an actual real playoff. And I just okay, don't understand. But, well, okay, here's my question: is, is the is is the NCAA tournament not a playoff? There's no direct line of qualifying, I guess, unless you win your conference. Well, I, okay, having a direct line of qualifying available. But the NCAA tournament's a little different. I actually am not 100% thrilled about the way that is either. I think having an invitational tournament and calling it a playoff is fairly silly, particularly in football where you make all this money, you have this sport in this multi-billion dollar industry, and you're doing a four-team playoff based about what four, like a bunch of people think sitting in a room. Some, yeah, something seems I mean, very I mean, dumb about at that. At the end of the day, I'm trying to think, has there ever been a national champion in college football that didn't deserve it? Like, they got in that probably shouldn't have. Like, it does feel like, at the end of the day, the best team usually went there, right? Mm. I mean, if you go back to those BCS days and you have the Auburn teams and you have a, the Auburn team in 02 or 03 or whatever it was, yeah, the four. I guess that one would be your best argument. And then, but I mean, you have a couple like technically split national titles. It's just it's comical to me that, that this highest level of college football has never actually been able to get their postseason correct. And I don't understand like what is complicated about it. So you would just do eight teams? Yes, I would do an eight-team playoff with five automatic qualifiers, and that'd be the five Power Five conferences, uh, auto bids. You get the two outlaws because let's be honest. You, well, you know, you know who you know who would bitch about that, right? Who Danny Cannell? Then join a conference. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't have. I don't have time for that. Like that is not. That is a. That is a Notre Dame problem. I mean, that's fair. That's certainly fair. So anyway, I I don't know. I find the whole system and the way they do it silly. And watching a bunch of college football pundits argue about Tua's hip is just, uh, over the next three, four, five days is just going to be nauseating. Um. So anyway, more people giving Saban fits for having that kid in the game. I don't really have a real a real issue with it either. I, I get the I get I get arguments on both sides, but again, once now that we have the internet and everybody's opinion is somehow validated because they have an account, it's like I I you lose all nuance. Like I get it, they were taking him out. They wanted to take him out, but they wanted to run a two-minute drill for practice or whatever, which I get because they weren't particularly good in that the week before. And exactly. They, they were bad against, against LSU. And then the injury he had is not really – I mean, it's just kind of a freak thing. That's not even really a normal, like, football-type injury. Like, that's an injury that's more common with, like, like running or getting in a like – I was reading something. It's more common, like, with running and getting in a car wreck or something like that than it is playing football. So, like, it's just kind of a freak thing. And then, I mean, I'm, I hate that kid got hurt or whatever, but there was, like, I was reading, I saw Paul Feinbaum authored a tweet. I'm actually going to read this because I, I can't believe this is real. They were acting like he was dead. Yeah, yeah. It acted like the guy had gone off the war and gotten killed. Hold on, I'm pulling this up because it was, okay, here we go. Written by Francis Scott Key circa 1755. As dawn broke across the nation this Sunday morning, a desperate feeling of devastation for Tua has turned one into hope for his health and recovery. Like he's not sick, man. He hurt his hip. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 okay. <laughs> like, I mean, come on. on. Like this. Is, I, I mean, that sounds like a like a guy that's riding his family back home on the farm, like as he's a you know I don't know about to cross the Potomac. Like I, I did. Seems a little bit overkill. Like I hate the kid got hurt. Don't get me wrong, but like injuries happen. It's football, dear lord. Yeah, I mean, the medical staff said he could play. Um, they just were going. They were going to pull him after the drop. Like I, I can't. I can't really get on. And I don't have much problem blaming Nick Saban. That one just kind of felt. I don't know. That one. That one felt like they were just going after the. I, don't, I, I mean, sometimes this crap happens, right? Okay, but that's probably the better argument if you're actually going to want to actually undisputed style first take this thing. Why is he playing against Mississippi State when you don't need him? And then Saban said after the game, we're trying to get better as a football team. We didn't play very well last week. He's our number one quarterback. He was able to play. He wanted to play. Well, he wants to be out there. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. Like I don't, But I see both sides of it. I think, though, if you're going to make the whole – Irresponsible, whatever argument that I would do, I would argue that from the. If I'm arguing that side of it, I would argue it from why he's there in the first place, not why he's is he playing in the second quarter of a 28. Okay, game. well, my argument would be: Did something happen against LSU last week to make him not be able to play against Mississippi State? Is he more hurt 
this week than he was last week because I don't really think he was. No, but I think he was he was definitely not a hundred percent last week, and they needed him to beat LSU. They didn't need him to beat Mississippi State. Yeah, but Saban doesn't think like that. No, I I, I agree, but. I do wonder also at the same time, I mean, Mac Jones beat the hell out of Arkansas. If that LSU game was in Arkansas's place, is Tua going to play? Uh, no. He wouldn't have played. I think he would have given it a shot. Man, I... The way he looked after, like, three weeks off against LSU, I don't know how he would have played. Fair enough. Point being, they didn't need him to beat State. They needed him to beat LSU. LSU. But I, I don't mind him being in the game... I didn't mind him playing. I think he was. I was surprised he played. I think everybody was fairly surprised he played, including Las Vegas, because if you looked at followed the line of that game, um, I mean, uh, it seemed fairly clear that they didn't think he was going to play. But yeah, I mean, that sucks for him. Like, it sucks for the uh, for Alabama. That kind of, I mean, that ends their season, but that really puts a damper on whatever hope they had left, and just sucks all around. But I, I did find some of the reaction to it to be a little bit over the top. I mean. I mean, Feinbaum wrote his obit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul, Paul's a little dramatic. Um, but anyway, I don't really have that many final Ole Miss LSU thoughts, to be honest. I think it's very yeah. much of the same, and then you're now kind of in a wait-and-see holding pattern. This is the direction they've decided to go offensively. This is, I mean, they've, they've very clearly made a decision. It, it, The positive aspects of it were just on display on Saturday night. Plumlee ran wild. The speed is elite. Can he develop into a competent enough passer to make this a viable offense long-term over the course of the season? Can they protect him enough in terms of him carrying it 20, 25 times a game to last over an entire season? These are all really questions that are going to be answered over the course of the next year. And, you know, it's like you're watching another chapter of it and you're going to watch the final chapter in two weeks and you're still going to have the same questions without answers until you really get into next year. I mean, it really seems like how this is going to go. Yeah. Yeah, did uh, did you see the trash cans in the Grove get stacked up? Uh, I did not. I have seen videos like that before where drug people climb to the top of it. Yeah, guess what happened? Someone fell. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, I, I guess a couple of thoughts defensively. I know they kind of got gashed for seven, what seven fourteen. Like Burrow threw all over them. There were some nice spots in the secondary. Go, Kedron Smith had a sack. A forced fumble, a pass breakup, and an interception, and eight tackles. Yeah, he's a good player. I think the secondary, look, it's hard to say this when they got torched like they did. I think the secondary is getting a lot better. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been an interesting, I guess, transition for them because it, the, the lack of production they're getting from uh, a, a lot of their older guys, namely Jalen Julius, Jalen Jones sometimes as well, has forced them to play a bunch of young guys, and they are getting better. They they really kind of got abused the first couple weeks. Uh, I'm thinking really kind of end of Cal game, Alabama. But it, it fared better after that. Uh, DeAndre Prince got a pick. Uh, he and Keedron Smith had those on back-to-back possessions. They're faring okay. It's just it's hard to – it's difficult to indict them for much that happened Saturday because, again – Maybe not to the tune of this this degree, but like LSU has pretty much done that to about everybody. Yeah, I mean that's LSU, uh, which is crazy to say in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen that LSU is just a potent offense. But man, I, I don't. There weren't many teams in the country that were going to stop them on Saturday night. Yeah, they're the most interesting team in college football. This has by far been the most interesting storyline to follow. Anyway, we'll transition to basketball in a second. First, tell you the podcast brought to you by LBs. Go see Greg, University Avenue across from Kroger. Weather's getting cooler. Throw stuff on the, uh, you're trying to throw stuff on the grill. You've got, I guess, football season is over uh, for Ole Miss tailgating at this point. But if you're at the house, if you're in Oxford, you want a grill, go let Greg help you decide what you want to put on the grill. They've got steaks, custom cuts, daily specials. He's got plate lunches if you want to go by and get some food. They've always got something great cooking up in the kitchen. He's got sausages, jalapeno poppers, mushrooms, all kinds of stuff. It's the best place in Mississippi to go get meat. Go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger, LB's Meat Market. Um, basketball, you're going to have to take a little bit of the lead here. Basketball played uh, Western Michigan on Friday night. Got off to a little bit of a sluggish start, kind of blew him out. Luis Rodriguez seemed like he played one of his better games uh, since he's been at Ole Miss. Um, I, again, was out of, kind of out of pocket, so didn't get to watch a ton of this. But looked like another slow start, but really kind of came on after that. And I don't think Western Michigan is particularly good. 
No, they're not. They're terrible. Um, Ole Miss was really bad on offense in the first ten minutes of the game, and they scored thirty points in the last or the first. Yeah, the first ten minutes of the game, they scored thirty points. I think in the last ten minutes of the half, and had a forty had forty points at halftime. Uh, Western Michigan had no answer for them from an athletic standpoint. I mean, Shuler was able to get in the lane. They were able to get in the lane, do a lot of different things. Um, KJ Buffin didn't play exceptionally well, which was fine. I mean, he's going to have games like that. I thought Sammy Hunter, while the stat line probably doesn't reflect it, was a lot better uh, this game than he was the previous two, I guess. Um, Luis, uh, they, they finally got Luis to do what they want Luis to do. Brian was really good. That was nice to see. Um, they didn't play particularly well on defense, I didn't think. Well, Western Michigan didn't get the ball on the bucket. They, they score a lot of points. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a Friday night game against the Mac opponent. I mean, they won by 20-whatever and covered. And, yeah, I mean, I, there wasn't a lot to take out of it for me. It was a more ideal uh, Brian Tyree game because he scores 20 points and he only shoots four three-point shots. He got to the rim a lot, was really good in transition from the pieces I was able to watch of it on TV. That is more ideally what they would like Bree and Tyree to be. They're not going to discourage him from shooting three-point shots, but they need to be the right ones. They kind of need to be step-in threes in transition. But again, his, he's at his best 18 feet and in getting to the basket and setting up a mid-range game, which at least from the stat line sounds like he pretty much accomplished on, on Friday night because he, I mean, he scores 20 points on 7-16 shooting and he only shot four three-point shots. Uh, he had four rebounds, three assists. Looked like a pretty efficient game for him. Schuler again, another uptick in scoring with 16 points. I think you're going to see that throughout the course of the year. But, uh, I mean, if they're going to have Bree and Tyree produce, that is certainly the way they would like to see him produce. Rodriguez had 10 points and six rebounds, which is an encouraging sign because they need, they need him to guard the other team's best athlete, and they need him to grab rebounds. And whatever scoring comes from that is pretty much just kind of a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Um He's, a, he's kind of a, a, a bulldog player. He's going to get you dirty buckets. and That's kind of be, going to be his game, and for whatever reason, he wasn't really doing that the first two games. Kermit challenged him, and I think they got what they wanted out of him. I think Austin Crowley is going to be an extremely good player. He looked good on Saturday or on Friday. Um, big week for Ole Miss basketball. They got Seattle in kind of a tune-up game, and then it gets real on Saturday. Yeah, it does. They'll be at, I'll be at that game. They'll, they're playing Memphis on Saturday. Uh, presumably no James Wiseman for Memphis but really kind of their first measuring stick test. Uh, one of the uh, one of the interesting storylines and subplots that we talked a little bit about last week with Bracken is who is the backup point guard on this team. Um, I, it seems like Bryce Williams is making a pretty solid case for that. Yeah. Um, you know, they. I, I think once you get an SEC play, you're rare, you're going to see Shuler leave the floor very seldomly. But, I mean, there are nights where he's going to be in foul trouble or if he misses time for an injury or he gets nicked up or something like that. Who runs the second-string point guard? I don't necessarily think it's Franco Miller. I mean, Bryce Williams looks like the most likely candidate at this point, but that's something that's still um, that that's still probably kind of trying to flesh itself out. So that's, that's something interesting to keep an eye on. He played 14 minutes on, fr- on Friday night. And Crowley played 11. So, I don't know. I mean, I think Williams is probably the most likely candidate there. Uh, Franco Miller got... I can't... Franco Miller barely played. So, he had four minutes. I couldn't read the uh, the lines there. Uh, anyway, so, I don't know. That's probably that's something to monitor going forward. But it, this is, again, it's going to get a little bit easier to kind of see what this team's rotation is when Blake Henson gets back. They hope to probably have him back in practice sometime this week. We'll probably get an update on that uh, and know more about it very early this week. But um, I'll be interested to see Kermit Davis for about a week and a half has is, is kind of hinted and continued to hint at this small ball lineup they want to go with, with Buffin at the five and Henson at the four, and that's really going to take some pressure off the Carlos Curry, the Sammy Hunter, the Hadim C's of the world uh, in terms of them coming along and developing because they're, they're – they're going to be able to like they're not going to have to rely on them as much if they go with that lineup. I think Kermit would probably prefer to play that lineup a decent bit, even if you were getting good production from C and Hunter. So, a couple of notes to watch out there. But Ole Miss now three and zero. They close out a four game homestand with Seattle. Is that tomorrow night, Tuesday night? Tuesday night, yeah. And then of course you have kind of your first measuring stick with Memphis on Saturday. So, uh, interesting week coming up for Ole Miss basketball. That game with Memphis on Saturday should be interesting. Uh, particularly with football off this week, 
Um, that's kind of the highlight of your sports weekend from an Ole Miss perspective. Uh, really just kind of elsewhere. I, I didn't get to watch much of the Baylor-Oklahoma game, but I, I hate that Baylor choked that away. I don't really – that was going on at the same time as this game, so I, I don't know what happened, but it couldn't have been good. No, I mean, I obviously was watching Ole Miss too. I just kind of kept checking the scores. Oklahoma kept cutting into the lead. You knew if Baylor didn't do something, it wasn't going to end well for them. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what they got up 28-3, to which has become the, now the most dangerous oh, lead in God. football. Baylor blew a 28-3 lead. Yeah, uh, so that that would be a big day for Twitter. Um, but, like, I yeah, I mean, I, that was kind of the same way. I kept checking the score app, and it's like, okay, it's 28-10. And then when it got to 28-17, I was like, Baylor probably better score here or something. Like, things are probably going to get hairy. And, of course, I guess they did. That effectively ends Baylor's chances at the college football playoff. That Well, okay, now hear me out. If they beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game, did they still have a shot? Yeah, probably. But what are they ranked right now? I'm not sure. Like they were like seven or so. I'm not. I, well, maybe more than that. I can't remember. I, I don't know. Just uh, if they're being penalized like that for strength of schedule, and they're if if that ends up happening, they're presumably going up against a one loss Oregon. Are they going to get the benefit of the doubt there? Or, or one loss Utah is the kind of the one no one's talking about. Yeah, well, Oregon or Utah won has to lose. Right, but I read, uh, I was reading something late last night. I don't remember where it was, but on a neutral field that uh, the, this guy was forecasting the line to be Utah minus four and a half. Ooh, wow. Okay. Um, so Utah's kind of the one out of the two that no one's really talking about because with Oregon, you have Herbert. They played really well, but I mean, Utah's defense is really strong. But anyway, I, I think that. I guess it doesn't officially end Baylor's chances, but I would think that would be very, very difficult to overcome. Yeah. They would obviously have to win out and look good against Oklahoma, and you have to probably get some chaos involved, too. Um, I don't – I mean, really, it was. I guess aside from that, it was kind of a quiet weekend in college football. Matt Campbell continues – he's now beaten every Big 12 school I see, which is a pretty uh, – a pretty – Pretty solid accomplishment at a program like Iowa State, giving its his, given its history. Uh, Arkansas is about to throw a billion dollars at him. I wonder if he'll take it. Yeah, I, I wonder. I, it'll be interesting to Arkansas hires. I still think it's probably I, as if I if you made me bet on someone, it'd probably be Norvell. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I again, I have I struggle to follow college football as much, given it cut uh, most of the time it falls on a work day. Like, did anything? Were we missing anything else from that? No, no. Um, I mean, Auburn looked inept on offense for three quarters. Um, Minnesota got beat. Iowa was kind of just better than they were, I think. Um, other than that, no. Um, nothing really happened. Yeah, I guess if you're talking about playoff chances ending, that is certainly it for uh, with, uh, Minnesota. You yeah, mean- very little secret is Penn State's not good. Uh, they played. I actually don't even know who they played this weekend. They, they beat Indiana, but they didn't look good doing it. Yeah, Tom Allen's team is pretty good though. Um, seven, yeah, they are seven they and are two with Indiana. seven and two with a backup quarterback. That was the first time yeah. Indiana had been ranked since two thousand and one. Um, so Hugh Freeze, disciple there, no pun intended, uh, doing a good job there. Um, but yeah, that was about it. Uh, pretty boring slate of NFL games yesterday. To be completely honest, uh, the Texans looked awful against Baltimore. Baltimore is also making a pretty solid case as they they might be the best team in football right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark Jackson's doing it up. Um, the defense is salty. I don't really know how you score on them to be honest if they're playing like that. Yeah, it has been, but that's been a last couple of weeks thing because Baltimore, if, if, if you're going on the entire like I guess season sample size, has been kind of a middle of the pack defense. But the last couple of weeks has played really well. A lot of that probably comes with having offensive success, and uh, they control the ball very well with Jackson running. Uh, Jackson in that running game. So, uh, you know, I think six, four or five weeks ago, you probably would have said the AFC is over with the way New England looked. But New England's offense is not very explosive at all. Um, it's kind of going to be oh three ish New England type team where they're just going to ride their defense if they're going to make another Super Bowl run because they aren't very explosive offensively at all. Uh, San Francisco's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. They pulled out a win kind of out of their ass against Arizona uh, late in that game. The Rams are in trouble. And then I thought what Matt Nagy did last night was very uh, very petty and I don't know if like shallow or low or whatever's the word, but I thought that was very unbecoming of an NFL head coach to do what he did last night. Yeah, what was the point of doing it? Like, what's the 
point of pulling him out of the game. Well, like, and you're Mitch, getting beat. You're, Trubisky wasn't. I didn't think Trubisky was the problem last he night. Wasn't he bad. wasn't great, he but was that was mediocre. one of his better. That was one of his better games of the year, I think, from what I've watched of the Bears. He was okay, but literally that I I, I saw someone made the point and they summed it up better than I was. That <coughs> excuse me, that's Nagy's way of just kind of pointing the finger and being like, hey, "This isn't on me. This is on him." And it wasn't at all. The play calling was atrocious. Yeah, I mean, they don't do much to help that kid. Now he's not very good, um, but yeah, I mean, the thing is too, their defense hasn't been exactly great recently. No, but I mean, they're on the field so much, and they're put so much pressure to do to do everything. I mean, what they gave up? They've given up like twenty something points in the last three weeks combined, and I think they're one and two, two and one, maybe. I don't give uh, up seventeen last night. Oh, that's right, that's right. I was thinking ten seven because it was. Uh, ten nothing, pretty much the entire ten seven the entire second half. Uh, but I mean, really, those those scores came on two big plays. I mean, you had the one on the third and six in the first half. Like aside from that, the Rams did nothing offensively. Um, they ran the ball a little bit better. Their offensive line is still a mess. The Rams are not making the playoffs in that division with Seattle and San Francisco. But yeah, I thought that was a very kind of uh, just kind of shitty move to be completely honest by Matt Nagy there. Um, Really, aside from that, you got a decent Monday night game tonight, but that was a fairly, very boring week of NFL slate of games. Yeah, yeah, they're in uh, Mexico City tonight. That'll be a good game, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is really the only kind of thing saving uh, Kansas City from really being just a completely incompetent mess. Uh, they're probably going to win that division, but you do have the Raiders kind of hanging around there at 6-4, and four, and they, don't have, they can't rush the passer defensively, but outside from that, they have a pretty good football team. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Oakland or Indianapolis is more than likely going to slip into that last wild card spot in the AFC, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if it's Oakland at this point. No, yeah, I mean, the AFC's kind of a bungled up match, too. Yeah, they are. I mean, you've got three or four. You've got you pretty much got two good teams, three average teams, and the rest of it is just kind of okay, like just average to bad. So. Anyway, good Monday night game tonight. I uh, That's really a, kind of a light show today, but that's really about all I had today. We'll have some hoops coverage for you this week. Um, I'll get probably have someone on to kind of on Wednesday to like, preview Memphis, yes, but I kind of want to get into some James Wiseman stuff and how that's been handled and really Memphis's strategy on such. Uh, we'll remind you one more time, go see Greg University Avenue, LBs across from Kroger, uh, best place in Mississippi to get meat. It is grilling season. Holidays are coming up. Go see Greg for all your meat needs. They've got daily uh, specials. They've got plate lunches if you're in town and want to stop by and grab some lunch. He's always got something good going in the kitchen. So best place in Mississippi to get meat. Go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger, LB's Meat Market. Um, that's really about all I had for today, uh, unless you got anything else. Nope, that's it. All right, well, we will be back at it on Wednesday. Like I said, I think I'll have a Memphis guy on to get in some James Wiseman stuff. We'll do some. We'll have some hoops coverage for you from Tuesday night's game, kind of preview the Friday and Saturday uh or preview the Saturday game on the Wednesday and Friday podcast. But we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Like and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the podcast. But, again, appreciate you guys listening, and we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.